When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Questo suono dal Sud America fino giù in Senegal, profumo d'Africa nella Nuova Guinea, la sentirai in Albania, che assomiglia a casa mia, riparte dal Belgio, arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world. So I wanted to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can speak their minds. And this way you, the listeners, can hear some opinions and viewpoints that are different from my own. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're heading back to the U.S. for today's episode. Today's guest is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. He always has great takes, not just on Napoli, but on Serie A in general. Matt Leneve, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate you having me. Big fan of the podcast. And uh, this is actually my first time making an appearance on any sort of podcast. So I'm super excited for this. We're honored that this is your first uh, podcast with us. So I'm looking forward to today's episode. My original plan was to bring you on during the international break to get some early insights on the start of the SETI ad campaign, but I ended up getting pretty busy, busier than I thought I would during an international break. So I'm going to bring you back on uh, sometime in the future. Maybe we'll do a panel episode during the next international break, which I believe is in October for the Nations League, and then there's another one in, in November. Instead, we are going to preview our big match of the season, our first big match of the season. Of course, I'm talking about the Juventus match, which is at 6 p.m. local time or 12 noon Eastern time. Before we get to that, though, we always start these episodes with our guest story. So, Matt, I'll hand it over to you. How did you become a Napoli fan? Yeah, so um, I wouldn't say that I have a super crazy story, but it's probably a lot different than most of the guests you've had on the podcast. So like you said, I'm back in the United States. I was born and raised here. I didn't grow up a big fan of Napoli or Calcio in general. It wasn't until I was probably about 12 or 13 that I started even playing Calcio. Just kicked it around with some friends, started playing some FIFA, and that really got me into the sport. 
And then when I needed a team to pick, I went back to Italy because uh, my dad's side there, actually from Cosenza in uh, Calabria. And when I started watching the sport, I think Napoli was just recently promoted back into Serie A. And there weren't really any teams from Calabria in the top league. So naturally, I wanted to follow a team that was somewhat close to Calabria and uh, Napoli being the biggest team in the South. That is kind of what drew my attention to the team. And then just watching Lavezzi, Cavani, Homschik, that trio right there really piqued my interest. And then just seeing the passion of the fans, just like the underdog mentality of Napoli and the way the team played, I just fell in love with it. And so that's how I really became a fan of Napoli. That's awesome. Not even just the club, but even the South in general and with the gap between upper class and lower class, not really much of a middle class. The South very much has that underdog mentality and Napoli kind of represents that for the South. So no, I love that story. It's unfortunately there are not more Southern clubs competing in top flight of Italian football. We we see clubs going up and down. Benevento came up and then they went back down and now we got Salernitana. We'll see if they can stay up. Uh, I have my doubts, though I don't really like them too much, mostly because of Lotito anyways. <laughs> but I do. I think that's a great story. And and the thing is with that trio, I'm sure once you've had a, a couple of years watching those guys, there was no turning back at that point. That's it. You're hooked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, even the defense too with the Sanctus, Campagnaro, Cannavaro, Christian Maggio, it's just the all-around team. It started with the trio, but I think Napoli do a great job of just keeping hold of some of their best players throughout the years, and it just makes it easier to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I didn't play at any high levels or anything, but I, I started out as a midfielder and I ended up becoming a fullback. So I always have an appreciation for the the defensive side of things, maybe more so than, uh, you know, most people are always attracted to goals and it's hard to ignore, you know, Cavani, Hamsik, Lavezzi, all of those guys. But yeah, you know, Maggio was one of my favorite players back then. Way ahead of his time, if you think about it, in terms of the style of play as a fullback, like nowadays, it's totally normal to see a fullback getting up and down the wings and contributing in the attack. Maggio was doing that, you know, in those early 2000s, 15 years ago, whatever it was. So he was definitely a favorite of mine. All right, so let's get to the game I mentioned it's obviously against Juventus. It's on Saturday. If you're wondering why this game was moved from Sunday to Saturday, it's because you've been playing the Champions League on Tuesday. For those of you who think that this game was moved as some sort of conspiracy to help Juve, you need to just stop and remove your Napoli bias. We'll get to the Juve lineup in a little bit, but they have more players playing in South America than we do. So I'm not really buying the story that this was done to hurt Napoli in some way. And and surely if the roles were reversed and if we were playing on Tuesday, we would probably want this game to be moved on Saturday as well. But I guess I shouldn't be surprised. This fixture is always shrouded with controversy. Last season, we had the whole COVID situation and the Juve went on the table. This season, there's the Osman red card and the subsequent appeal, which we'll get to in just a little bit. There was also the story that the National Observatory of Sports deemed the match at risk and blocked the sale of tickets. Apparently, that's pretty common, and eventually the ticket sales were opened up. Now the match is nearly sold out. There were also complaints from Juventini that visiting fans would not be able to attend. Apparently, that's not the case either. 
though visitors' tickets are restricted to subscribers of Yuva's loyalty program. So there's still quite a bit of controversy there. Now, normally I start the previews with some general expectations, but today I want to start with the lineups first because there are so many stories about both teams going on with the starting lineup. So let's start with Napoli. And I think the easiest way to do this is just go position by position. So with the goalkeeper, I think that one's pretty easy. Who do you have starting in goal, Matt? Isn't uh, Moret, isn't he injured? Yeah. Who do we even have available? Is it the guy that played against Benevento? No, so it sounds like Ospina will play. Okay. Um, there were concerns about whether he... First, there were stories that he picked up some sort of injury, ankle injury, a, a player yeah. ran into him. Sounds like that wasn't that serious. I mean, you know, watching Napoli and, and watching Ospina play that he, he gets injured every match he plays, but yeah, they're, exactly. <laughs> they're never really serious injuries. So it looks like Ospina is going to be uh, starting on goal. And, and thank God, because if Marfella had to play, who was the keeper we got from Badi in Sedici, was actually their backup keeper. He was the one that played against Benevento in the friendly and, uh, with all due yeah. respect to him, he's he's just not good enough. <laughs> yeah, I saw one clip. It looked awful. Like, I think he was way out of goal, and it looked terrible. Yeah, like so. he was trying to shield the ball out of play. But, I mean, if it's going out for, for a goal kick, you can do that. But not – he tried to shield it from the box all the way to the touchline. <laughs> nah. yeah. He was lucky to get, get a foul called against them. Now, Ospina did play. We're recording on Thursday night, and Ospina played uh, a few hours ago against Chile. So that was the big concern that yeah. whether he'd be able to get back on time, and, and that applies uh, also for some Juve players. He's supposed to take a charter flight to Italy. Actually, Juan Cuadrado was supposed to be on the flight with him because they're teammates for Colombia. Yeah. And... According to Carlo Alvino, he's not expected to return to Napoli until Friday evening, which makes sense because I actually looked this up. A direct flight from Colombia to Italy is about 12 hours long. So if they were to hop on a flight, say, right after the match, say it was 11 p.m. Eastern time, they would arrive in Italy at 11 a.m. Eastern time. But Italy is seven hours ahead of Colombia, so that's... 6 p.m. in Italy. So that timing makes sense. If he leaves right after the match, he gets to Italy at 6 p.m. So that would give him about a day to acclimatize. Hopefully he doesn't have any jet lag. I mean, these guys travel quite a bit, so I don't know if if it impacts them the same way it does with us. But even still, with Ospina in goal, I think these are less than ideal conditions. Let's go to the defense next, which I think is fairly predictable as well. So who would you start as your back format? Um, I think you got to go with the the usual Di Lorenzo right back, center back pairing of Manolas and Koulibaly. And then at left back, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but we got to go with Mario Rui. I mean, I think he's our best bet. I mean, you can't really put Goulam in there right now. I agree. I think Manolas and Mario Rui were not called up for international duty, so I fully expect them to start and then Di Lorenzo played for Italy and Koulibaly played for Senegal, but they're pretty much in the same time zone. So I don't think that really affects them too much. Fortunately, they're coming back healthy. The midfield is where things start to get really interesting. So I have two questions for you. First, do you think Spalletti will go with a double pivot in the 4-2-3-1 or a three-man midfield? And the answer to that question probably depends on how you answer the second question which is, 
who do you have playing in the midfield? Okay, all right, great question. So a part of me thinks that Spalletti is going to go with the double pivot just because I'm not too familiar with is it Anguisa. I'm not too familiar with him and if he can play that reduced role. So I think him and probably Fabian Ruiz playing the double pivot. And then I think in the attacking midfield trio, we could see um, Insigne on the left or maybe as the 10 behind Osimhen. And then two of either Politano, Lozano, or uh, even Adam Unas. Yeah, so we'll come back to the attacking players. Let me touch on a couple of points on on the midfielders. Fabian seems like the only sure thing, right? Because with Lobotka injured, which for those who don't know, he picked up an injury playing for Slovakia and World Cup qualifying, I believe, on Tuesday. The early reports are pretty vague. All they said was that it was a thigh injury. Then there was a report saying that it could be more serious than initially thought. I saw another report today saying they're hoping to have him back. It's all over the place. But according to Corriere del Mezzogiorno, instrumental tests confirmed an elongation of the right hamstring, which will keep him out for a couple of weeks. As we know, Diego Demme is also injured. Uh, Corriere del Mezzogiorno are saying that Demme should return in mid-October after the I guess the Nations League break to be ready for the Torino match. That means the only holding midfielder we have is our newest signing, who you mentioned, Andre Frank Anguisa, who only joined the club for the first time, I believe, on Wednesday. So heading into this match, he'd only be with the club for three days. Right after we signed him, he went to Africa to play for Cameroon in the World Cup qualifying. And a lot of people are saying it's too soon for him to play, and it probably is, but I really don't see any alternatives. I don't think it really matters what formation he plays in, fortunately. I, I looked this up as well because that was something I was thinking about when I was thinking about asking you this question. Well, which formation would Angisa fit in better? It turns out that he's played in every formation you can think of uh, over the last couple of seasons. So let me let me list these off for you. At Marseille, he played as a holding midfielder in a 4-2-3-1. So suggests maybe he could play in a double pivot. In his first season at Fulham, he played in all kinds of formations. One was a 4-2-3-1, but he also played in a 4-3-3, a 5-4-1, and a 4-4-2. Now, we're not going to play a 5-4-1 or a 4-4-2, but at least we know he can play in the two formations that we do use. Then he went to Villarreal, who play all kinds of formations as well. They seem to use the 4-3-3, the 4-2-3-1, and the 4-4-2 roughly an equal number of times over the course of the season. And then they also occasionally played a 4-1-4-1. So there's another formation that he can play in. And then when he went back to Fulham, they mostly used the 4-2-3-1 last season, but then they also used the 3-4-2-1. So it seems like he's comfortable playing in, in whatever system Spalletti will want him to play. The only other two midfielders we have are Piotr Zielinski and Elif Elmas. It seems like Zielinski will be available, at least from today's training report. It, it looked like he completed the training, but more than likely he will be an option off the bench. So a lot of people are predicting that that means Elmas will be the the starting trequartista. For some reason, Zielinski was still called up to the Polish national team, but thankfully he wasn't in the squad for any of their matches, and then he came back on Thursday my concern with Elmas, though, is that he played the full 90 minutes in all three of North Macedonia's qualifiers, which is three games in eight days, and 
if you include the Genoa match, he's actually played four games in 11 days, which, you know, we already have enough injuries in the midfield. So that's concerning me a little bit. So that might actually be an argument for playing a 4-2-3-1. Other than the Primavera players who will probably get called up for this match and just sit on the bench and, and not feature unless by some miracle we have a huge lead. We'll only have three midfielders available. The two that we have starting in Guillaume Fabian and then Almas being the third. So if it were up to me, I think we play the 4-2-3-1 with Anguissa and Fabian in the double pivot. I would put Elmas on the bench, even though everyone's predicting he's going to start in that Zielinski role. I'd put him on the bench to spell one of those other two midfielders in the second half. And you mentioned the forward, so that brings us to the attack. You mentioned the winger, so let's get to the one guy who you didn't talk about, which was Victor Osiman. Surely he's going to start in this match, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he has to. I think we really missed him in the match against Genoa. I think Juventus right now, a lot of their back line is struggling. And, you know, with Osiman's speed, with those back passes that they've been doing, and I feel like they've had a lot of weak concentration and uh, have been making poor passes and doing silly giveaways. And I think having Osiman's speed out there is just so crucial to Napoli in the attack. And um, I think that could be a, a key point for us to counter. Absolutely. And I want to touch on the Osman situation as well, because I didn't get to cover this on previous episodes. But earlier this week, for those who don't know, Osman's appeal was accepted. Now, normally the court issues a formal document explaining the decision, or at least that's what was done when we appealed the 3-0 loss to Juve last season. That may still be coming, but so far, all that's been released is a one-page document that says the appeal was accepted, Osman's suspension was reduced from two games to one game, which of course means he'll be available for the Juve game, and his fine was increased from 5,000 euros to 15,000 euros, which I don't really get, but I don't think anyone really cares what the fine is as long as he can play on Saturday. I'm still hoping an explanation will be released just because I'm curious to read what was in the appeal submitted by our lawyer, Mattia Grassani. I've seen speculation that they argued that Osman reacted to shirt being pulled, which I presume is an argument for this behavior not being considered violent conduct because that's the term they use for something that gives you a two-game suspension. Personally, I don't think reactions and violent conduct are mutually exclusive. In, in other words, I think a reaction can be violent. You know, That's why I'm curious to see what's in that decision. And then the other argument I've seen is the report that Chido Immobile was suspended for only one game for the slap that he gave Arturo Vidal last season, which is sort of the current precedent. Therefore, Osman should only be suspended for one game. And I suspect that's the one that, that really worked in our favor. Unless there was a rule change or a change in interpretation of the rule, there's not much difference between the two incidents. And you can't go back and suspend Immobile for another game. So the court has to be consistent and, and reduce that that suspension. So Joe, I don't know if you read this or not, but I saw something about a Grisani interview with Radio Kiss Kiss, and it looks like he pulled up about three or so points on the radio. Uh, he said that Hammonds did not suffer any consequence. Obviously he had the, you know, he's tugging on Osiman's shirt and nothing was called for that. Uh, he said that the doctors did not need to intervene and Hammonds didn't even like protest or ask for any doctors despite, you know, getting hit in the face. And then he also mentioned that the contact happened while the ball was in play. Whereas Aureliano's report, which is the referee initially, he said that 
I guess, the contact happened while the ball was out of play. Those are great points, actually. I mean, the point about that he didn't ask for the medics or he just kind of got back up, it's kind of like we're saying the the reaction or the damage is what determines what the punishment should be. If someone makes a violent play but just happens to not hurt you, it's less violent somehow. But I think the point about the ball being in play is a, is a very relevant one because even in not just in the decision on the field, but even the decision to give him a two-game suspension specifically referenced that the ball was not in play or it was away from the ball. So I guess they showed that with the footage or however they did it, that the ball actually was in play. So that's that's a great point. Let's talk about the wingers. I want to go over it again. So who did you have starting on each side? So I think on the right side, I would go with Politano this match just because I think him and Insigne have linked up very well in the previous two matches. In the center, I would actually go with Insigne and play him behind Osimhen, just because, uh, like we mentioned with Elmas earlier, you know we're kind of short on on midfielders, so if we need to make a sub in that double pivot, I think Elmas would be perfect for that. And then on the left, I would go with Lozano. I think he has more experience playing on the left than Unas, if I'm not mistaken. I think Unas primarily plays on the right. And on top of that, you know, I think that just speaks how highly I rate Napoli's depth. You know, with Unas on the bench and coming off to make an impact, I think we're in a great position. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I agree completely that we'll see Matteo Politano on the right wing. I'm a little unsure about Lozano, if I'm being honest, just because he hasn't looked like he's up to full fitness yet. Obviously, he missed the entire summer with that injury he picked up in the Gold Cup. But I completely agree. If we play Insigne in the 10, then it makes perfect sense to play Lozano on the left wing. We kind of did that in the Benevento match, and it's maybe that Spalletti was testing it out specifically for this match, knowing that Zelensky was doubtful. If Insigne doesn't play in the 10, then... I'd even consider putting Unas there, which is maybe a a long shot type of prediction. It's more than likely Elmas will play in the 10, at least according to what the media are saying. But I prefer Insignia on the wing than in the middle. But it's different because the last time he played in the middle was more as a 9 than as a 10. So that's a bit of a different dynamic. I can guarantee you that Insignia will play. There were some doubts actually even about that because... He left the Italy camp early. It turns out that was not for any injury reason. It was because his father was having a minor surgery. So he left to go be with his family. But apparently, if he plays in this match, he would become the fourth player in club history to play 400 matches with Napoli. The other three are Matic Hamsik, Giuseppe Bruscolotti, and Antonio Giuliano. All three of those guys played over 500 games for Napoli. So Insigne has a long way to go to catch them. And that's assuming he renews his contract. So yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that Insigne starts on the left wing and Unes plays in the 10 behind Osman. So let's move on to the Juve lineup. I'll take this one because I know, Matt, you haven't had much time to uh, to read up on all the drama going on <laughs> about Juve. So let me fill you in a little bit. And and I even reached out to some Juventini friends of mine. Yes, I, I have a couple of them, but they're good guys to get some advice and and help me try to predict this lineup. So let me fill you in. 
as I mentioned earlier, they also have a number of players on international duty. The big story with Juve is that they have a number of South American players, and they're all with countries that played on Thursday. I mentioned Cuadrado earlier. They also have Paulo Dybala with Argentina, Danilo and Alexandro with Brazil, and Rodrigo Bentancur with Uruguay, though he's already injured, I believe. According to Gazeta dello Sport, the two Brazilians, so Alexandro and Danilo, will not be available for this match. Brazil played against Peru at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time in Pernambuco, Brazil, which means they have to take a three-hour flight to Sao Paulo. From Sao Paulo, apparently, and I don't know how the papers get their itinerary, but I'm assuming this is all true, but from Sao Paulo, they're going to take a flight to Paris, and then from Paris, they're going to fly to Torino, And based on that itinerary, they would not get back to Italy until around the time that the game is being played, perhaps even a little bit after the game. So it looks like Danilo and Alexandro will not be available, which is a problem for Juve, at least as far as fullback goes. Then there's the Weston McKinney situation. I don't know if you've heard about this whole story, Matt. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about this one. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I won't get into too much of the details, but we'll we'll put it in uh, politically correct terms and say that he was removed from the U.S. Uh, men's national team for violating COVID protocols. He apparently brought an unauthorized person into his hotel room and he spent the night outside of the hotel room, which are both violations of COVID protocols. There's been some speculation about who he was with. Again, I'll skip over that part, but you know, these guys are supposed to be playing in a bubble. So I assume that means he's not available because now he, well, by violating those protocols, he'll probably have to do some sort of quarantine, which means he's not available for this match. Now, don't quote me on that. I may be wrong. In terms of the formation, I can't see Allegri making too many changes there. I think, I think Juve are best built to play a 4-3-3, but that's not what they have been playing. That's not what Allegri likes to play. And with so many of their regular starters on international duty, I don't think Allegri had time to make such a drastic change to the system anyways. There was nobody around to, to train to play that system. So I mentioned I reached out to friends for help. Daniel Lucci, who's a friend of the pod, uh, helped me figure this mess out. And what Daniel said is that there have been some rumblings about playing with a three-man back line because of the shortage of fullbacks. So if they went with a three-man back line, you'd see Chesney starting goal. Matthias Delic, Leonardo Bonucci, and Giorgio Chiellini would play as the back three. Bernardeschi and Cuadrado would play as the left and right wing backs, respectively. The center of the midfield would be Adrian Rabiot, Manuel Locatelli, and he said Dejan Kulusevski, but that's not really a natural position for him. So I'm a little bit skeptical about that, but I think the issue is Bentancourt's hurt, McKenney's not available. Again, there's just roster limitations, and they might have to squeeze Kulusevski in there just to fill a spot. And then up top, you would have Dybala and Morata. Now, I initially had Federico Kez as an option up top, but on Thursday, Juve released a statement saying that despite him testing negative on an MRI, they're going to keep him out of the Napoli game for precautionary reasons. Now, if Juve play that more traditional 4-4-2, then we'll probably see Chiellini and Delict start in the middle, so Bonucci gets a rest. He played two out of Italy's three games during World Cup qualifiers, and maybe they'll save him for their match against Malmo on Tuesday. Quadrado would then start at right back, but because of 
the lack of options at left back, I think they'd be forced to play someone like Luca Pellegrini, who's not really the guy they want to be playing. And I think that's what's caused the speculation for this three men back line. Locatelli and Rabiot would still start in the center of the midfield. And then you'd have Bernardeschi on the left side and Kulusevsky on the right side, which is a much better fit for Kulusevsky than in the center of a of a five-man midfield. And then up top would be the same front two of Morata and Dybala. So those are the starting lineups. Let's talk a little bit about this match and, and how you think it might go. Both of these teams have had unusual starts to the season. Juve has only one point through two matches. They opened the season with a 1-1 draw against Udinese and followed that up with a 1-0 loss to newly promoted Empoli. We have six points through two matches, but they didn't come easy. We opened the season with a 2-0 win over Venezia, but of course, Osman got the red card in that match and Zielinski got hurt. Then we edged out a 2-1 win over Genoa with a late winner by Andrea Petania. I think between those results and the lineups we discussed, a lot of Napoli fans are going into this match expecting to pick up the three points. So let me ask you, Matt, is that the right mentality to have or are we possibly underestimating Juve here? I think we're definitely underestimating Juventus just a little bit. In 2015 and 2016, they lost their first two matches against uh, Udinese and Roma, and then they went on to win the Scudetto. So, I mean, yeah, it's a rocky start. I don't think that this is the same Juventus, you know, that we're used to, but I still feel like they will challenge for the Scudetto. And, you know, you still got to bring your A game against them. And I also think it's important to bring up their competition. You know, I know Udinese and Empoli, they might not be seen as the strongest opposition, but I think they are two teams that could surprise a lot of people this upcoming campaign. Udinese... They got Luca Gotti as the manager, and I think he's done a pretty underrated job at the club since he took over. They finished in 13th and then in 14th last season. And even though it's probably a relegation-worthy side, I think he got the best out of them. And, you know, they still look sharp in their, their match against Juventus. And then with Empoli, I think they're going to be one of the most exciting teams to watch this campaign. They play fun attacking football. They got plenty of talented youngsters, and they've added some Serie A guys with plenty of experience. So out of the newly promoted sides, I'd keep an eye out on them. On top of that, they have Andrea Zoli as the manager who has coached at Empoli before and also brings Serie A experience. So I think that, you know, despite a lot of people looking down on those clubs, you know, they're they're tough matches for Juventus to go, you know, right off the gate. That's very well said. I think... I agree with Ineza. I'm shocked that they actually look better to me after losing Rodrigo de Paul. And I don't know if that's one of those things, kind of like, you know, Barcelona losing Messi or Juve losing Ronaldo. Not necessarily that the teams are better, but they can play a different way when they're not so heavily dependent on one guy. And I feel like that's what de Paul was for Udinese. It was, let's just defend and then give him the ball to counterattack. And now they seem to be playing, or maybe Gotti just recognized he needs to play a different way because I find they're playing a lot more positive this season than they have in the last couple of seasons, not sitting back as much. And I agree on Empoli. I fully expect them to stay up this season from what I've seen. I've said this on the podcast before as well, that they look to me, you know, they're not going to win every week. They're going to drop lots of points, but they kind of remind me of what Spezia was like last season where 
they have the capacity to beat the big clubs. And we saw that. And again, it's not going to happen every week, but I think they'll do enough to stay up because I also think there are enough really bad sides that they just might be better than some of those other clubs. Some people know that I'm generally an optimist, but when it comes to Napoli, I think I'm a bit more of a pessimist. And I think it would be very dangerous to underestimate Juve. Just like this game means more to us than any other game on the schedule, so too it means more to Juve. And with or without a full squad, I think they're going to approach this match a little bit differently. Juve will also know that if they lose, they could find themselves eight points back of Inter, Roma, Napoli, and one of Lazio or Milan who play each other this weekend, which is the other marquee match. Now, with so many games left to play, there would be plenty of opportunities to make up that deficit, but that's definitely not the way they want to start the season. Of course, it's exactly how we would want to start the season, so I guess that motivation goes both ways. In terms of the manager's how do you think these two managers are going to approach this match? Yeah, so I think for Napoli, I, I think they have to go all out on attack. As you mentioned with Danilo and Alexandro out, I think that puts them at risk with starting Bernardeschi on the left and then even Quadrado on the right. You know, those are two players that love to get forward. So I think Napoli are going to have to look to exploit those spaces on the wing. I think our speed and, you know, our attacking ability will definitely come in hand for Spalletti. Yeah, that's a good point. I think. We're going to definitely look to use that speed with Osman up top. You know, we'll play that long ball over the top, which I don't know how much space there's going to be to play for that because I, I do think Juve are going to play this match more to not lose than to win. Allegri is a pragmatist even on a good day. So given the situation the club finds itself in, given the hostile environment they'll be playing in, which will be hostile even if it is at only 50% capacity, I think they'll be even more pragmatic in this match. I think Napoli will be the more positive side, but then looking at the two midfields, I'm not sure either side will be able to sustain any prolonged possession. I'm curious to see how Locatelli does. It's sort of his first start for for Juve, so he might be a difference maker in the midfield. Obviously, Anguisa first start for us, so that's a big question mark. We're not really sure how that's going to play out. Last question before we get to our predictions. If you had to pick one key to this match, one thing that Napoli need to do to win this match, what would it be? I would say a lot of quick one-touch passes. Just from looking at Juventus and the matches against Empoli and Udinese, I think that's where they struggled the most. You know, when the other team is going forward and, you know, they're just have full-on attack and moving the ball around, I, I think they've struggled with that. And try and get as many shots off as possible. I think about the Udinese game against Juventus, and I think Suchesny struggled against Pereira and ended up committing a penalty there. And then on the second goal with uh, Arslan, you know, he pretty much just got a shot off. Uh, Suchesny didn't make a tremendous save, and he was able to pick up the rebound. And so I think we just got to feed the ball to OC men and try and get those shots off, and we should be okay. Yeah, that's something that a lot of Juventini are, are concerned about is tech and goal. And a lot of them are already calling for Perin to, to come in and, and take over the reins, which I think might be a little a little bit early for that. Perin, he, he had a pretty good season at Genoa last year. So, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't be too surprised if we see that by the end of the season. Yeah, the way things are going, neither would I, to be honest. Uh, my key to the match is that Victor Osman needs to keep his cool. Now, I don't want to 
overplay this or, or read too much into the situations. But that incident against Venezia wasn't the first time. It was the second time he's gotten himself into trouble. And some people who I think are still in the minority are already starting to turn on him a little bit. Twice is a coincidence. Third time is a pattern. And the reason I'm worried about this is because he'll be going up against one of the biggest instigators in the league in Giorgio Chiellini. So that has me a little bit worried. I think he'll keep his cool, though. On the flip side, if he can stay focused and not lose his cool, then this could be a very good matchup for us because there's no way Chiellini will be able to keep up with the pace of Osman. And I imagine that's where Delict will have to slide over and help him. All right, so let's close with our predictions for the match. Matt, how do you think this one ends, and who do you think scores? And if you don't want to make a prediction, by all means, you can pass on that. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one, Napoli. Of course, I think the first goal will be scored with Juventus losing focus at the back. I think Osimhen will steal the ball from Benucci, and then uh, we'll get a shot on goal and and score. And I think second goal will go to Juventus. I see Juan Cuadrado. I see him taking on Mario Rui one-on-one and dominating him on that right-hand side and probably pick off the ball and making a run into the center. And so that'll be Juventus's goal. And then for Napoli, I see our third goal scored by Politano. And I think Insigne is going to pick him out just like he's been doing the past couple matches, just with that great ball across the field. I think we'll catch Bernardeschi sleeping on the on that left-hand side. So... See Politano getting that game-winning goal. Okay, yeah, that's all very, very logical stuff. I, it's hard to disagree with that, but I am going to give you a different uh, prediction. Mine's not nowhere near as entertaining as yours is, unfortunately. I mentioned earlier that Juve uh, is going to be pragmatic and play not to win. I think this is going to be a boring nil-nil draw. I know we've had some crazy games against Juve in the past, but often these big hyped-up matches like this one, end up being letdowns. And I generally don't put too much predictive value into past results, but for what it's worth, Spalletti has only one win, five draws, and 19 losses in his managerial career against Juve, which doesn't look too good. Hopefully he can snap out of that. Um, Lastly, we're coming off an international break where we had so many starters from both teams away from their clubs, meaning they're not training with the clubs for the last two weeks or so. So both sides will have players that we mentioned the players that will be making their first starts of the season. I think the result will be from both clubs, uh, a bit of a lack of sharpness, a lack of cohesion, and probably errors. Now, errors could result in goals, uh, but that's why I'm leaning towards a nil-nil draw. So I think that's where we'll leave it. Matt, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Joe, I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. It was my pleasure. You can find Matt on Twitter at La Neve Matt. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back next week to review the Juve match and to preview our Europa League match against Leicester City. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre.
Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.